Welcome back for another OG Show Live. Mr. Randall, how you doing? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Real Down. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for News. Hi, boys and girls. Welcome to, once again, the Bass Guy Computers. Brother! This is the final cast. Another segment of uh, Chasing the Tide, your saltwater connection on the Palatine. Welcome back, everyone. Another episode of Feather and Fur, your host. Welcome back to the Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Crystal. Hey, welcome back to Off the Water. you here with Adventures of Outdoor Woman Podcast. Hey, guys. Welcome to the Rusty Hook Kayak Fishing Podcast. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, go to eastport.info. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs. I am your co-host, Sean. And, and with me, as always, I'm Suzy Q here. Uh, if you guys uh, don't notice or realize, uh, I'm in my she shed, baby. <laughs> Suzy Q coming to you from the she, she shed. That's right. That's I know that was a long time coming, so that's oh awesome. My gosh. Yes, yeah. It's uh, all the big stuff is finally done. Um, just need to do a bunch of little stuff and whatnot. Um, I hate caulking. <laughs> I hate it. So it's still a work in progress. But it is. It's, it it's is very it. much a work in progress. Um, I'm definitely going to need to put in some, um, oh, like, uh, I don't know what they're called, like the sound diffuser. Dampening. Yeah, sound dampening, dampening, yeah, dampening yeah. panels or whatever. I can, I can hear myself echo. So <laughs> I don't know if you guys can as much. but it, uh, It's not horrible. but Yeah. <clears throat> But uh, yeah, still definitely got some work to do. Got to paint the floors. Um, got to put the fan in the heater. Got to install the garage door opener. Got to install the um, insulation in the overhead door. A um, bunch of other like little stuff. But uh, hey, it's it's coming along. So it's almost done. It's better than uh, my nice insulation background. But that, that <laughs> will be changing hopefully before too long. But Right, yeah. Anyway. Well, um, we have another exciting uh, show for you guys tonight. A little bit of a shift of gears for us. We're not going to be doing too much of a, a technique-specific show tonight, but uh, I have a good friend of mine um, who I got to meet uh, a while ago and uh, kind of got to learn a little bit about the uh, the role he plays in in our local uh, watershed and the, the surrounding waters. And, and um, so I'm really uh, kind of eager to have him on and talk about um, what he does also, you know, where he fishes and stuff, because I want to I want to kind of pick his brain a little bit about that, too. Um, but um, I guess uh, we'll just start off with the introduction. So uh, welcome to the show, Ted Evgenitis. Did I get it right? That's it. Thank you. Uh, awesome. So for those of you who uh, don't know um, Ted, which probably most of you, because, you know, I know him, but uh um, Ted, why don't you give uh, the folks a little bit, just an intro of who you are, where you're from? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Ted Evgenitis. Um, currently, I serve as your lower Susquehanna Riverkeeper and, and have been in this role since 2017. Um, I'm originally from New Jersey, um, so I've, I've done a, a, quite a bit of fishing out there. And the Delaware River was, was my home river for a long time. 
Um, so I came out here in 2008 and uh, I winded up volunteering with the organization I'm now, you know, acting as executive director for back in like 2011. Um, so started out as a volunteer, winded up joining the board of directors and then winded up being hired um, as the next Riverkeeper. So it's kind of like history in the making. It was, it's been a German mind to work around water and uh, especially around fish. Um, you know, pollution is, uh, is another side to it that is, you know, there's just too, there's so much going on in our watershed that uh, hopefully we can talk a little bit about. So absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, I love this area. It's, it's an amazing place to live. We have an amazing fishery right in our backyards, you know, and although I say I'm, you know, I came here in 2008, I wasn't here to experience what the fishing was like back in the nineties or the eighties or before that, you know, so, and I'm sure most of the viewers know, you know, the, the river has suffered, uh, you know, major casualties over the last 20 years, as far as, you know, the population of smallmouth bass. So, um, but you know, we, 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 there's plenty of fish in the river still. And, you know, I know a lot of folks out there are catching them and, um, hopefully things improve so that we can rebound and have populations we once had. Right. Right. And I always, I often think about that because, um, unlike a lot of anglers, I didn't start when I was young, you know, I, I kind of got into this way late in the game. I grew up, uh, I live, you know, I grew up five minutes from Shanks Mare, the, our local outfitter. Like, so I was literally a quarter mile from the river growing up and I didn't fish. I, I just, I know it wasn't something that my family did and I didn't know many people that did. So I didn't get a start, uh, at it until way late in the game. So I've heard crazy stories about the, the amount of fish that people caught back in the day, you know, you know, just easy hundred fish days and stuff like that. And, uh, and, uh, you know, might've had just a glimpse of, uh, days like that early on. Uh, I guess I've really started fishing when I, uh, kind of met my wife and my father-in-law had a bass boat. And I remember one or once or twice, this is in my twenties, so 20 years ago, dating myself a little bit, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, having a couple of close to maybe 50 fish days, um, which still is crazy, you know, to the point where uh, my wife was like, oh, my gosh, I got another fish on, you know, and we're just like, that's the whole point. You know, that's what we're out here for. But uh, but yeah, so, you know, it, you know, and it, I like to think that, you know, we're doing the, our best to kind of rebuild the fishery. You know, it still is a world-class fishery, but, um, you know, if we can get it anywhere near close to back to the heydays, that would be amazing. Yeah. So um, what, what uh, I know you said you started volunteering um, for the Riverkeeper organization, right? And, and um, what, what led you to volunteer? I was, uh, I actually went back to school. Uh, you know, I was busy doing a lot of stuff just locally in York around the city and, um, somebody had suggested that I get introduced to the lower Susquehanna river keeper. Um, and I did, and he was doing really cool stuff. Uh, I got involved in some of my first Creek cleanups, you know, back then, uh, some other projects, you know, vegetation maintenance and control, pouring concrete to make parking lots, um, you know, and cleaning up our waterways. And it was just something that, I never really got the chance to experience before, you know, and I was in my early well, mid twenties at the time. And, um, I just saw it as a really cool outlet to meet, you know, like-minded people that, you know, cared about the water and 
were actually doing something about it. And um, it was just really, really attractive to me that there was groups and individuals um, that just really, you know, had such a passion um, that drove them to do good things. And, you know, I, I always, you know, thought that that's the, the center of influence that I'd like to be around. And, you know, I just got involved and went up from there. Um, so it was a really cool experience at first. And, and, it, and it still is. I mean, this is the most uh, the most rewarding and re most you know, difficult and you know, job I've ever had in my life. And it's, it's a, it's actual, it's, it's a blessing to have it. I mean, we have, you know, some of the, we have the most water in the country other than, you know, Alaska and maybe a couple other States. And, you know, continuously we see water degrade and water quality suffer and public health suffer. And, um, you know, we have to make sure that polluters are held accountable. And that again is attractive to me because no one should be taking away our right to clean water no one should be taking away our right to swim or to fish. Um, you know, and, and when they do, you know, there needs to be an advocate that that's there, you know, essentially fighting against that because Pennsylvania has an environmental rights amendment. We're one of the few States to have it and it grants us, you know, the right to clean water and clean air. Um, and we're very fortunate to have the amount of water that we do, but you know, it needs protected. Right. Right. And I know, um, through uh, through my uh, you know volunteering with the alarm group, uh, the, which is the Alliance for Aquatic Resources, I think um, where we do creek studies. It just happens to be that the creek part that I study happens to be one of the worst in our area, <laughs> so I get to see firsthand how nasty some of that stuff yeah. can be. But um, you've you've um, gone to bat for for that and and you know made some headway with that too, right? You know. Yeah, I mean, I and I know I know where you're at. You know, he, you know, Sean's in one of the one of the worst creeks we have, and you know, we continuously see high nitrate levels. Um, you know, and we're monitoring the source of that pollution right now, which is a landfill. Um, you know, further further down, uh, further upstream from from where they're monitoring, and you know, they're dishing out all kinds of stuff from high levels of boron, uh, the nitrate levels, manganese, uh, arsenic, uh, uranium, lithium, PFAS levels, the forever chemicals are absolutely through the roof. Um, you know, which, you know, now we're at the point where we've informed all the local municipalities and we're trying to get public support behind what we're doing and continuous monitoring and to make sure that people know like, Hey, you know, you're, don't bring your dogs down there. Don't bring your kids and your grandkids to go and splash around in that creek because it's not safe. You know, and people need to know that because if people get down there and all of a sudden, you know, years later, they wind up that they have some kind of uh, who knows what it could be. It could be a cancer, <laughs> it could be an illness, it could be whatever. And all of a sudden, where do you, you know, who, who's going to start asking those hard questions? You know, and, and by that time, it's too late. Um, and again, our, you know, our water is precious. You know, we only have a limited amount of it. And when it's polluted, it's gone. Um, you know, and it takes a long time to get back the level of water quality maybe we once had. And, you know, Crates Creek is a very polluted creek uh, as we've seen it. And it does support wild trout. Um, you know, upstream of that facility, you have you have trout that are there and, you know, downstream of it. Uh, when every single time I walk into that creek to test it, I don't even see a minnow swimming around. I don't even see a crayfish. You know, I don't see it's it's void of life um just downstream from that pipe so Jeez. yeah and not to mention that the water is kind of orange you know oh yeah uh, it's, the, it's, it's crazy 
Um, but uh, and but that's that's the whole reason why you know we do what we do, and um, I I can totally echo what Ted said about the the kind of people that volunteer. They're they're so passionate about it. When we get together and we you know talk about our results and stuff, they're they're super passionate, super intelligent people that just you know want to you know make the water better for everyone. And then um, I'm kind of super thankful that I got involved with that group because it's. Uh, it's so nice to get to meet people like that and uh, just to share and at least feel like I'm doing a little bit. But um, so, um, Ted, for, uh, I wanted to ask you, too, about your fishing. Like, uh, how what's your fishing story? How long have you been fishing? Where did you oh, get man, started? I, I, uh, since I was since I was a little little baby boy, you okay. know, like uh, I, grew, I grew up around it. You know, um, you know, my family is they're Greek. My dad came here from Greece. My mom's Greek. The whole family's Greek. You know, my, my uncle was a big fisherman growing up. I used to go and sneak around into where he had his tackle and all his rods. And I, and I'd go through all his stuff when I was like, you know, five years old and six years old. And I was just mesmerized by all of his gear. And he does a lot of uh, saltwater and especially living in Jersey. I mean, he did a lot of saltwater fishing, a lot of offshore fishing, um, you know, and I just got involved with it early as a kid. Um, you know, once I got a little bit older into my late teens, I started fly fishing. Um, so at that point, I was just, you know, I set off for the races. I'm going up to upstate New York for for salmon. I'm going now, you know, I go to Erie for steelhead. You know, I'm doing offshore trips at least two, three times a year. I'm fly fishing, you know, Pen central Pennsylvania. We have amazing trout fisheries here. So, you know, I'm, I'm smallmouth bass fishing, cat fishing on the on the river. Uh, and other tributaries. I mean, I, 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 I fish for whatever that swims. I mean, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy fishing. It is, it gives me peace. Um, you know, I, I just love being on the water uh, and whatever water body that might be. It could be the ocean. It could be a lake. It could be a Creek. It could be a river. Um, it doesn't matter to me. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll fish for anything. And um, you know, like I was saying before, we have um, such a, amazing place here that um it, it we, we have big fish we were just talking right before we came on about you know people catching 21 22 inch smallmouth i mean that's that's amazing um yeah you know. yep. i have to give i have to give a shout out to my uh, buddy jake stuffman i was took him out on the river tonight and um uh he came up back he he actually uh he went to college here at millersville and i got to know him and fish with him a little bit he is uh he graduated and moved back to new jersey um, but he messaged me out of the blue and said, Hey, I'm coming back to PA. Do you want to hit the water a little bit tonight? And, uh, I was like, sure, you know, uh, and so we got on the water, um, and he's like, well, where do you want to go? I was like, I'll show you one of my spots. And, uh, so I took him to a place that I caught a 20 inch smally last year and he caught his PB yeah. 21 inch, uh, smallmouth. <laughs> so, um, that was quite a, a catch and, uh, congrats to him. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think you're you're surrounded by kindred spirits, at least here. Anyway, um, we we love being on the water. You know, for me, I know I can definitely echo that sentiment that it's relaxing to me. It's it's my peace. It's where I go to get centered, you know, and to get away from all the stress. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, even though you do spend a lot of time in and around the water for work, that you still get to enjoy it as well maybe not as much as you would like yeah to, like, <laughs> when, I, when i can i mean uh you know i'm going out tomorrow uh thankfully for for a buddy you know we're, we're, we're taking a trip out but uh after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers if we've learned anything it's that there's always a catch so when i heard that mint mobile wireless plans are 15 dollars a month when you purchase a three-month plan i thought what's the catch 
but after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. You know, the, this job is is extremely stressful. There's, like I said earlier, there's a lot going on in the lower Susquehanna watershed when it comes, when in terms of pollution. But, you know, as an organization, we're just doing a lot uh, with our programming, with our education, with events. I mean, we're hosting all kinds of different events and cleanups. Um, and for a long time, it was just me uh, for about five years. And we, we hired some staff this year. And so now we have someone in the office uh, helping us out with really all everything, you know, and, and, and she's a rock star. And, you know, we're slow, slowly growing an organization that should be one that, you know, that has uh, the resources and staffing to take on the biggest challenges this, this river faces. I mean, we're, we're looking at when I'm talking about issues, you know, we're talking everything from hydroelectric dams and, and relicensing of those dams. Uh, you got, you know, coal ash pollution, you got combined sewer overflow, you got diseases which affect Walmart bass. We have concentrated animal feeding operations and slaughterhouses and non-point source pollution and, and agricultural runoff and, you know, stormwater issues. And, you know, there's just so many different things that affect water quality that, you know, we can do something about as a waterkeeper organization, and, and we can talk about waterkeepers in a sec and, and what they do, but, you know, there's a lot of pollution sources that, you know, it, they're not heavily regulated. Um, you know, so, you know, stormwater pollution is, is, is major now when we start seeing more and, you know, increased and in frequent rain events. Um, you know, it's hard to control and people are doing the best they can, but we're falling short. Um, and the same thing when we talk about, and we can get into it maybe later or now, but, you know, we're looking at, you know, in more frequent rain events, you know, during the spawning season for smallmouth, um, you know, and, and I think it's now becoming a little bit more of a conversation than it has in the last 20 years because of what we're seeing. Um, you know, go back for the last five years, we've had so much, you know, intense rain events where we're seeing like three inches of rain dump in two hours and all of a sudden we're, you know, we're flooded out. And, um, you know, how does that affect spawning grounds? How does this, how does it affect those beds um, when we get a huge flush? Um, and a huge storm event that's going to cause, you know, river flow to be, you know, so high 
um, and so forceful that it's just washing away beds. It's washing away the fry. It's washing away, um, you know, a, a, a next uh, you know, layer, layer of uh, right. a fish. You know, it's and it's you know, it's been studied. You know, people are you know, biologists are saying, you know, we have climate change is going to affect uh, the future of our fisheries um, just because of the timing of of when they spawn and, you know, uh, as evolution may state, you know, maybe they adapt to that. Maybe, maybe spawning happens, you know, at a different time as time goes on. I mean, we don't know that you know, the fish are pretty smart and um, they can adapt uh, or they die. And, you know, I think over time we're going to see some adjustments. No, that's an, definitely an interesting point. I, I've actually had that similar conversations uh, with people talking about the high waters that we see in the, in the springtime, you know, and it, it feels like it definitely is happening more and more. I mean, just spending time on the water, um, you know, knowing that I can only pedal or paddle so fast water. Um, there's a lot of times in the spring where it's it's not paddleable. So, you know, that it's got to be affecting, you know, at least somewhat in, in some way the, you know, the spawn like that. Yeah. We've uh, <clears throat> we've uh, been definitely having that issue um, here. So I'm from Central Illinois, Ted, and um, there's a local river called the uh, Mackinac River. And uh, the last, I'd say, the last two years, we've actually gotten a little bit of a break from the constant flooding in the springtime. But I mean, for a long time, I want to say almost like eight, ten years, it would just be always flooded in the springtime and so i got talking to a couple of buddies of mine and uh, they were saying that yeah because of the immense flooding in the springtime the smallmouth populations just aren't what they could or should be because they just they can't spawn i mean they could but again it's it's going to get washed away or the the waters are just too high it's not suitable conditions and so it's just really interesting to you know see all of these effects that you know they have on river systems so uh ted you mentioned um you know that a lot of people don't realize uh that they have river keepers you know how big of an organization is that does do pretty much most rivers have river keepers or how does that work yeah i mean that's that's a good question so you know water keepers we're all around the world um you know there's over 300 water keepers uh, on six continents protecting like over 2.6 million square miles of water. Um, you know, and, and the name of the game is, you know, we go after polluters when, when people are violating the law and, you know, water quality is suffering and being degraded and, you know, we're suffering, um, you know, that's not right. And, you know, a lot of times, um, you know, we have state agencies and federal agencies that are, that are in place to, to protect us and to protect our water. But, you know, a lot of times they just don't get the job done. So, you know, water keepers fill that void and, you know, we step in, we step in as the voice, as the watchdog and as the enforcer to make sure that the laws are being followed. Um, you know, so not every river has a river keeper. Um, you know, we're, we're fortunate here in the Chesapeake Bay region. I believe we have 17 water keepers from wow. acid Teague all the way up to the New York, Pennsylvania border. Um, you know, and just to just to talk about our watershed for a while, you know, the Susquehanna from Otsego to the Chesapeake, we have six major subbasins. Um, so our territory, we cover from Sealands Grove to the Chesapeake Bay, 
but we also cover the Juniata watershed, which I'm sure as most viewers may know, and you guys know, that's a huge watershed. I mean, you're, you know, you're talking Raystown Lake, you know, all the way uh, to the Susquehanna and, you know, looking east to west, you're looking at Lancaster to Bedford County. Um, so we serve 22 counties in Pennsylvania. We serve two in Maryland, Hartford and Cecil. Um, and it, it's a, the, the watershed and the territory itself is a little over 8,500 square miles. Wow. Um, so it's not just the river, you know, it's every single little creek and stream and brook and tributary that feeds it, you know, from headwaters all the way down to where it dumps into the river. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty big territory. And I know just just like calling kind of following along on social media and stuff, you know, like seeing you out uh, weed whacking a bank, you know, doing vegetation uh, maintenance and stuff. How do you even begin to tackle the amount of shoreline that you have and that kind of thing? Like, how does oh, that? Yeah, that that program. I mean, you know, the the Army Corps of Engineers, they essentially you know, they control the uh, city of York and the Cadoras Creek that runs through it. Um, you know, and that project was yeah, a long, long time ago. Um, so they had flood control, they have walls and riprap and, uh, and levees um, where for the longest time, they always sprayed herbicides uh, along the banks of the Creek. Um, so they can visually inspect all of that area to make sure that those flood control levees and walls are, are, are working. And if they need repair, they can, they know what it needs repair. So herbicide application was, you know, the, the go-to and, and still is, um, you know, we have, we have a majority of the Creek that we perform vegetation maintenance, but there's still areas of the Creek that they still do spray. Um, but at least we have this, the heart of York city than where the Cadoras Creek runs through it. But, um, so yeah, we, we manually chop and trim the vegetation to, to keep them from spraying herbicides. And, you know, to be quite honest, when I came here, we weren't doing that. And when you went downtown, you can see, you know, that it almost looked like a barren wasteland. Um, cause all you could see was like the riprap and rocks and then this channel of Creek and you're like, well, what's this? And so now when you go to York city and you look at the Creek, it's green, right? So, you know, the, the we have vegetation all around the Creek. We have to chop it, which is counterintuitive. Some people might say, well, why are you chopping? You know, you're not supposed to chop vegetation that's along the creek. It's supposed to act as a buffer. But, you know, if we didn't do that, they'd spray. Um, but for me, what I've seen and what I've noticed over the last eight years of me doing it uh, is there's less trash. Right. So you, you do see some trash, you know, around the bridges a little bit. But, you know, we used to run cleanups through there all the time and pick up so much stuff. But now, you know, if people see that, that it's green and that it's being maintained and taken care of for, uh, it's a little, you know, you appreciate it just a little bit more that makes you maybe not throw that plastic bottle over the side <laughs> and down the bank. Um, so that's that's one of the positives from it, other than keeping a, a green downtown and, and keeping that vegetation there, which also allows insects to thrive. And, you know, you got space for for snakes to come out and you know get some warmth and you know still be covered and you know you have turtles that come around and, and ducks come around and you know they eat the vegetation that we chop so it does it does provide some habitat at least um for some of the local species too interesting and i know uh just growing up you know i remember when i was little and people would talk about the cadoris creek and like it was it was a negative connotation and yeah. and now I, I I definitely think I mean with the rail trail running 
right next to it at parts. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've heard, you know, better things about it now. So, I mean, it's definitely making a difference, I think for sure. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's improved over the years. They called it the inky stinky. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's, it's, well, we have a, we have a paper mill that's close by. That's why it was called mm-hmm. the inky stinky because the paper mill, um, you know, there was a lot of pollution coming from that paper mill, which, you know, turned that Creek black, you know, you had horrible stench to it. Um, you know, and one of the earlier successes to the, the predecessor of the, our organization was like, the, we had the Cadoris Creek improvement partnership, which my predecessor, um, the river keeper before me started in the early two thousands and they were involved in filing lawsuit against uh, ph glatfelter which is the The paper paper mill in spring grove Mm -hmm. um so they you know that that lawsuit winded up in i believe a settlement that they had to you know install over 100 million dollars worth of new equipment um to to treat their effluent um but you know still to this day we're seeing we're still seeing a little bit of issue up there and um but the creek is you know it's a lot healthier than what it was decades ago for sure and i i know at least I kind of took for granted thinking that, you know, when you hear about companies polluting the river and stuff, you know, like raw sewage dumping in at certain spots and kind of things kind of like that, you think, oh, well, that was back in like the 30s or whatever. And we've come a long way from that. But then you hear news stories where, you know, a company just got busted for doing that last year, you know. So, you know, you take for granted that it's not happening, but it really is, you know, and that's kind of scary. Yeah, and we had a you know the federal Clean Water Act uh, that was enacted in 1972, and you know that has done a lot for this country, and particularly wastewater. I mean, we have a lot more sewage treatment plants that are doing a better job, um, but again, we still have cities that um, still have old pipes from the early 1900s that are you know combined, and you have stormwater and you know raw sewage entering the same pipe and when we get rain events and even when we don't you know we, we we see elevated levels of bacteria in the river and that's just that's not it's not that's that's a huge problem right and um especially for the capital of our state um you know which is a whole nother hour-long conversation <laughs> we can get into it if you want that's um, what i was referring to and then you know when i first heard that i was like shocked i'm like that is still happening what the heck you know, but uh, it makes sense if, you know, nobody has really was policing it until, you know, now. And, you know, yeah. you, I mean, again, it's is it an easy fix to that problem? No, because there's probably tons and tons and tons of these old pipes and stuff going running everywhere. So but uh, is it worthwhile fixing? I hope so, because if you spend any time in the river, you don't want to be swimming around in something that came out of a sewer pipe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And, you know, when when. If anyone has done any research around, um, you know, smallmouth bass and some of the diseases that they have and the intersex characteristics, I mean, you know, look at Vicki Blazer's work from the USGS. She has done incredible work uh, and research, and a lot of her research has pointed towards uh, us, really, you know, and what what we're flushing down the toilet and what winds up being, in, you know, entered into the river. I mean, you know, a, a concoction of, um, you know, not just bacteria, but, but pharmaceuticals. I mean, anything that comes out of our body is eventually flushed down the line and, and winds up into a water body if it's not, a, you know, properly and effectively treated. Um, so, yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised for us to see smallmouth 
you know, male smallmouth bass with eggs in their testes. If, you know, a, a lot of what is coming out of us is, is winding up into the water as well. I mean, you know, fish are going to ingest that and, um, you know, and we're, we're seeing it and it's, and it's still relevant today. Um, especially we've seen it more so in the winter months. Um, you know, we see a lot more of the melanistic spots on bass. We see a lot more of the mucoid lesions and this, um, you know, and a lot more of that during the winter time. And, you know, my hypothesis has always been, well, you know, the fish are less active. Um, they're probably hovering down on the bottom a little bit more, you know, they're probably finding shelter, um, you know, in deeper holes. Right. So, you know, in those deeper holes, I'm sure there's sediment that's been built up over time. That's probably still has, you know, contamination and pollutants that are in it. And, you know, they might be eating stuff off the bottom. Um, you know, so I, I think a lot of that comes in. It's, it's all pollution related in my opinion. Um, you know, when, when 2004 and 2005 hit and, you know, we had a decimated fishery and a lot of that was because the previous years we were, we were essentially, I believe in a, in a drought or, or close to it. Um, you know, we just, we hadn't had a lot of rain and then all of a sudden we got dumped on and the river was flush full of, full of chemicals and pollutants. And, uh, we had a, we had a, a massive, essentially a fish kill, um, you know, and, and it can happen at any point in time. I mean, take a, we responded to Donegal Creek a couple of years ago uh, where a bunch of trout died mm -hmm. and we went and I investigated and I talked to some of the local uh, farmers and some of the local people there. And, you know, they had said, well, you know, that farmer over there just applied herbicides yesterday and it rained, you know, so was that a likely cause of, of that fish kill? Maybe, you know, uh, whatever's running off the land and into the water is definitely going to affect fish. So. Well, yeah, I mean, like that's, that goes back to the whole, um, you know, the use of DDT, yeah. you know, that would be absorbed into the fish and then the eagles would eat the fish. And then as soon as they'd lay, land on their nest to sit on their eggs, the shells would just crack. Yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of crazy. So, um, so I, there's a couple of things conservation wise that we wanted to talk about. So first of all, how do we support our river keepers? Like, like I, I want to get to, you know, how we as anglers can try and work on cleaning up our water and where, whatever that means. If it means not, uh, we'll talk about, you know, making sure you retrieve whatever you put into the water, if at all possible. Um, but in general, how can, what's the best way to support you as our river keeper? I mean, honestly, so right now we're at the point of, um, you know, and I want to tell folks to a vision that, that I have for this organization. And I go back to talking about those six major sub basins of the river. So we don't have coverage um, as far as a river keeper goes in New York. Um, nowhere in New York do we have a water keeper uh, or river keeper. You know, so we have the lower Susquehanna covered. We have the Juniata covered quote unquote, you know, it's, it's, a, it's very far for me to get the Juniata. Um, you know, we have a middle Susquehanna river keeper, but he also has the West branch. Um, so, you know, I, I see us growing to the point where we, we almost emulate some other water keeper organizations where they have one organization, but they have multiple river keepers underneath that said one organization. So, um, you know, I, I, I have this vision of a Susquehanna river keeper network where we have, 
um, water keepers all the way from Otsego to the bay. And each, each sub watershed is covered. Um, so in order for me to fulfill that dream that I have, you know, we, we need, uh, we need help and it comes down to, um, volunteer support, uh, coming out to our events, helping us out, you know, in the office, helping us out with, with fundraising, helping us out with planning stuff and, and our programs. Um, and we need dollars too. I mean, you know, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, all waterkeeper organizations are nonprofits. Um, and originally, you know, they, we were we were first started at the request of citizens, you know, that thought we needed a stronger advocate for this watershed and an advocate that would hold polluters to task. Um, and in order for you to essentially become a waterkeeper, you have to set up your own nonprofit. Um, so, you know, we don't receive any state or federal funding. Um, we're totally supported by donations and, and grants, um, any income we get from events merchandise we sell um, and we're membership based organizations so this is the really most important thing about what we do and how we're supported is that we have we're member supported um, you know i'm a big fan of xpn I, I love xpn i'm a member of xpn and I, I love the music that they play you know and i support them because you know i like what they do well i like what they're doing and i and i get to hear a lot of cool music and you know i, I give them 10 bucks a month right and they, you know, and it's, it's worth it for me. And I, I don't need it for the t-shirt. I don't need it for the mug or whatever they're going to send you. I donate to them because I appreciate what they're doing and, and what they're doing to, to my ears. Right. So, um, but for us, it's the same way in that we're member supported and what makes us really unique as a member supported organization is that we represent our members. So like, let's say Sean, you have a Creek that's running through your backyard and let's say Susie, you're just above him, right? And you guys are neighbors. And so let's say all of a sudden, you know, there's some kind of pollution source that's above you guys and it's coming downstream and it's an effect and it's affecting, you know, your ability to swim, to fish, to drink, you know, to bring your dogs down there and your kids down there and to splash around like you normally would. Well, if you're a member of the Lower Susquehanna Riverkeeper Association and let's say, you know, we were to take action against that polluter, well, you get to step in and you get to you get to directly be involved as a standing witness to whatever legal action we may put forth. So if we were to sue that polluter for violations and if they were violating the law, you know, you get to document, you get to say to the court, Sean, I am I am affected by said pollution because of this, this and that. It's taken away my ability to enjoy this public resource as I normally should and would. Um, same thing for you, Susie. And then all of a sudden, you know, when we when we're you know essentially in court we have standing alone as a you know 51c3 nonprofit and an organization whose mission is dedicated to protecting and improving the health of the river but when we have members that are also affected the court sees that and, and says oh wow you guys have people that are being affected that by this pollution well it gives us a little bit more clout um, and also, too, I mean, every single citizen has the right under the Clean Water Act to file citizen suits. You know, if your rights are being taken away and if you can't enjoy a water body as you normally would, everybody has the right to file a citizen suit. Um, and when you're members of Lower Susquehanna Riverkeeper Association, we get to help you out with that. And we get to essentially do it all for you. Um, you know, so, you know, again, that's why we need members. Um, we need people that are going to support the mission. 
um, and to be represented by us. Um, but not only that, we have a lot when it comes to, to programming again, and we just need some support there too, especially with smallmouth bass. I mean, we have a smallmouth bass monitoring program um, where we're using app to, to take a look at um, some of the fish that may be sick if they show in signs of disease. And we use an app that timestamps and geolocates uh, fish that allows us to hopefully, you know, reveal a pattern um, of where some of these, you know, fish might be and where they're going and, and all that. But, but yeah, um, and, and being the eyes and ears, um, you know, we need, especially anglers. I mean, anglers are the ones that are out in the water the most. I mean, unless you're an avid paddler and, and if you just like to, you know, sightsee and, and walk down trails and take in nature and, you know, bird watch or et cetera. But I mean, anglers are, they're on the water and they're, they're covering water. Um, so, you know, obviously I have 8,500 square miles. I can't be everywhere at the same time. So we really rely on our members, um, and, you know, members of the public to inform us if there's any issues that are going on that might be, you know, out of whack. I mean, you know, we want to know if you're smelling stuff that doesn't smell right. You know, we want to make sure that you show us stuff that doesn't look right. Um, you know, and there's, you know, there's follow-up that we can do. Um, where we come out and investigate and take water samples if needed and contact our, our state agencies and do the follow-up and um, and kind of take it from there. But but we need people that, that are out there, um, you know, raising and, you know, letting people know that something might be going on. Awesome. Awesome. I, and um, for anybody who's outside of the lower Susquehanna river keepers, how do they find their local river keepers if there is one? Yeah. So I didn't mention that, you know, water keeper Alliance is this global movement um, and they've been around since 1998. So just really quick, I want to touch on it because it's a cool story. Um, you know, the water keeper and the movement started in the 1960s and it started on the Hudson River and the Hudson River was the laughing stock of this country. Um, you know, it was made fun of on Saturday Night Live. Uh, you know, it was so polluted that fishermen were having difficulties harvesting and, you know, catching and fish and harvesting shellfish, etc. And they just got sick of it. You know, they got sick of how much pollution was up there. I and mean, we're talking about the textile industries, uh, oil and gas, railroad, um, you know, power plants, um, you know, uh, wastewater plants um, that were just jump dumping raw sewage into the river. I mean, they had so many issues there. So they banded together and they formed what was called the Hudson River Fishermen's Association. And they brought, they had some ideas uh, originally. They wanted to take mattresses and shoving up, shove them up the, you know, the, the, the pipes of these, uh, uh, you know, where like the train yards were, you know, in the local hump yards. They they wanted to, to put mattresses to, to, to clog it so all their oil and stuff would flow back onto their land rather than going into the river. They had really cool ideas about you know, getting rafts and putting dynamite on these rafts and then and sending them into the intakes of these power plants to blow up these power So like, obviously they didn't go through with that because they consulted attorneys that, and they told them, yeah, you guys should, probably shouldn't break the law. You should probably be holding these people accountable to the law. Um, but at that point, you know, the Clean Water Act was informed, but later they started doing a lot of work and gathering data and research and they started suing polluters and they started winning. Um, and it was in 1983 that Hudson River Keeper was officially formed of the first waterkeeper organization in the entire world. Um, you know, so in the late 90s, then Waterkeeper Alliance was formed. Um, Bobby Kennedy Jr. was president for a very long time. 
um, that helped found and mold that organization. And, and now, um, you know, we have over uh, 320 or close to 350 water keepers across the world. So what people should do is uh, go to Waterkeeper Alliance. Uh, I think it's waterkeeperalliance.org or just look up Waterkeeper Alliance. Uh, and there should be a, a really cool function or a tool on their website where you can essentially put in your address or put in an area and it'll, it'll, it'll spit out whoever your waterkeeper is. So, um, so if you're listening outside of lower Susquehanna, you know, just, just go there and see who's there, um, make connections with them, you know, and just chat with them. We we're here, you know, doing the grunt work. Um, you know, we need all the help we can get. So, um, you know, definitely reach out. And we'll make sure we include uh, that link in the show notes. So anybody who uh, wants to look that up, um, once this goes live, um, just check out the show notes, whether it's on Facebook or on YouTube. And, uh, you know, we'll make sure we uh, include that in there. So. All right. So that's uh, kind of the, you know, what what uh, any person can do. But as anglers, you know, this is the part where thinking about this show and I knew it was coming. I, you know, was having a little bit of a guilty conscience for, you know, fishing soft plastics as much as I do, because as part of my Creek cleanup, you know, one of the things we started doing was microplastic monitoring, you know, you know, where we sample the water and check for the, you know, microplastics in the water. And I'm like, you know what, that can't be helping when I'm doing that. So I kind of felt a little, a little uh, twinge of guilt there. And, uh, you know, we've talked about, you know, I know like California doesn't allow like lead sinkers and stuff like that. And we're not quite there yet. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's something, you know, that could be coming or what, but uh, I know. Uh, so what, as anglers, what can we do? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm gu hey, guilty as charged, man. I, I, you know, I use soft plastics. I mean, I'm not going to hide it, you know, um, but when I'm on the river, if I'm fishing, you know, I, I try to do the very best I can to retrieve every single, you know, lure that I'm throwing. You know, so if I'm snagged, I'm going out of the way to, you know, paddle upstream or to make sure that I'm getting around whatever rock or whatever is caught. Or if there's a branch, you know, I'm going to that branch. And if it, the, the water is icy cold, well, guess what? My arm's going straight into the icy cold water and I'm grabbing that lure out. So, you know, the, you know, busting off and, and just saying, forget it, I'll tie a new one. Um, you know, you're leaving that plastic in there and that's, it's going to sit there. And, you know, it's definitely not good for the environment as we're seeing. Um, there's a lot of research around plastics and what it does, uh, not just to aquatic species, but, but us as well. You know, there's water intakes all around the lower Susquehanna and, you know, we're, we're drinking river water. Um, so essentially whatever we put in there is, is eventually coming back into our body. So even though it's treated, but um, so yeah, that's, that's one of the main things that I just live by is just retrieving anything and doing the best I can to retrieve whatever I throw. Um, you know, and, you know, sometimes, uh, like, like this last week we had a, a drawdown, um, Lake Clark. So in the lower Susquehanna for folks who don't know, um, we do have, uh, four major hydroelectric dams. Um, so essentially we have reservoirs behind those dams. Um, and this last week. Uh, one of the dams had to perform some some routine inspection and maintenance and some repairs. So they they drew the water down and, you know, I, I, I go out there as soon as they did it. And, you know, I just I scurry the banks and I look for treasures and my treasures are old, you know, uh, plugs and plastics and lures <laughs> that are, you know, stuck in rocks and caught in a, in a limb in a tree. And I'm 
I'm taking them home and I'm repurposing them and finders keepers losers weepies. <laughs> uh, you know, so I'll 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 show you know I'll, I'll buff them out and I'll throw some new trebles on them or I'll throw a new single hook on them. Um, you know, and I'll use them again. But um, you know, so that's kind of the stuff that I do, and it's fun. I mean, you, know, you go out there and find cool stuff, not just fishing lures. You can find all kinds of stuff, arrowheads, and you know, I found an anchor the other day that I'm going to repurpose. <laughs> Um, wow. you know, so again, you know, I don't, you know, soft plastics for fishermen, you know, they're not going anywhere. We're still going to use them. Um, but you know, making sure that we minimize the impact of our fishing by, by doing the best we can to retrieve those, those, those snagged lures. I mean, it's, it's a bummer because, you know, if, especially when you're kayaking, you know, if you, you know, we don't have brakes, right. Unless you're using, um, you know, we don't have motors. Some people have motors, but you know, it's so do the extra work, take that paddle, paddle upstream, grab your lure. You're going to thank yourself anyway, because you just saved yourself money. Um, <laughs> unless you like paying, you know, money every week for new lures and new, uh, and new rigs and all that. I mean, I don't, you know, so, uh, I, I try to get, get back whatever I throw in. No, I think that's, that's a great idea. And I know, um, I started, I actually have a cup holder, like, a, you know, a Yak Attack cup um, that I put on my kayak, not so much to hold a cup, but that's where my trash goes, you know. So if I, if I rip off a soft plastic, oh, this, you know, this crawl got uh, an ar uh, a claw missing, you know, ripped off, then I'll, you know, instead of just chucking it in the water, I'll put it in that cup holder. And that's, you know, where I put all my trash so that I know when I get off the water, it's going where it's supposed to be. Um I know uh, one of the things that I, I've seen a lot more of around at least our parts of the river is they have a lot of places where you can put used fishing line instead just of just say that, yeah. um, the, uh, at least three or four of the places that I fish along the river have these kind of, it's like a PVC pipe mm -hmm. that you can, yeah. uh, instead of just, you know, letting your line go in the water, you know, cause all the different things that aside from being super annoying when you're casting and get snagged on somebody else's line, um, uh, it, it just, it's, it's so bad for so many different things, uh, to put that in the water. So, um, you know, I think that's one of the things that I thought was really cool, uh, the first time I saw it. And now, so if I do, um, if I'm, you know, retrieving a crankbait or something and I snag on somebody else's line, I try to pull as much of that out as I can uh -huh. and, you know, stuff it in that pipe when I get off the water. Cause, uh, you know, as much of that stuff as you can get out. And I think just picking up trash in general, I mean, I know a couple of uh, uh, kayakers I know just carry a like a, a bag on their kayaks so that if they run across trash, they'll just pick it up and, you know, so. Yeah, and that's, you know, that should that should be a common practice. And in fact, you know, looking at some of these tournaments, it'd be it'd be pretty cool to have a side pot, you know, not for the biggest fish, but hey, how much how much trash did you pick up? You know, we um, um, our uh, local club KBL as part of a way to earn monthly points. Um, we used to do uh, to earn, you know, 10 additional points towards your AOI to uh, go to like your local waters area or whatever and just collect as much trash as you can to try to fill a kitchen bag. And we had a lot of, uh, a lot of turnout for that, which was awesome to see. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Fishing. And, and like Sean was saying before, you know, we, we have this microplastics monitoring program and it was funny. One of our volunteers, uh, he fishes a, a, a pretty, you know, not famous, but uh, really well-known Creek that's, 
um, got decent trout life. Um, and he was fine in, you know, monofilament and, and fluorocarbon tippet. And he knew it was. And, you know, so, and the effects of plastics, you know, on, on our bodies is uh, there's, there's a lot going on there that, you know, might be safe for a different time, but let's just say it's, it's not doing good, um, you know, for our bodies and uh, especially for fish. I mean, we're eating, we're eating that fish. We're ingesting that plastic. I think somebody, Sean, we've heard this before that, that uh, I think the statistic is even without, uh, let's just say we're eating like a credit card's worth of plastic, like every like two weeks or whatever it is. Oh and it's some crazy statistic like that. It's and, it, and it's not hard to believe because, you know, like we do our sampling once a month. So I go to my creek once a month and I take a water sampling jug about, you know, I, I don't even know how many liters it is. But just in that sample and then we filter that through a filter and take a look and um, we check to see what what uh, microplastics we find in that. And every month in that sample, I find microplastics. And that's just one tiny little jug of water that comes out of one creek. If, if I'm finding that much in just that one sample, you know, that just lets you know how prevalent it is. And um, that that was shocking to me. Like, I couldn't believe I was like, oh, you know, maybe maybe once every once in a while we'll find something. But no, it it's pretty much every every sample I'm finding multiple um you know, whether it's fibers, I haven't found a ton of beads yet, but uh, I know, you know, I, we, we found them as a group and so they're definitely there, but it, you know, just the amount that I'm seeing was eye opening to me for sure. So, yeah. What would you say that your, um, would be like the top five polluters to like the Susquehanna or the other rivers and creeks? Um, so some of the biggest cases we're working on right now, um, and I'll name the first one because we've, we've been working on it since 2009. Um, that's how far this, this one goes back. So hydroelectric dam relicensing is a, is a, is a beast. Um, cause, because, you know, these, these dams, they're, they're federally licensed oh. through the federal oh. energy regulatory commission. Um, and, you know, under the Clean Water Act, like our local wastewater treatment plants or like, you know, uh, let's just say like modern landfill that's dumping into Kreitz Creek, you know, and their wastewater treatment plants, like they all have to be permitted every five years. Right. But these federal these federal dam, these federal licensed dams, they're looking at anywhere from 30 to 50 year licenses. Jeez. Um, so, you know, it's a it's a long time. And the process that all the agencies and the citizens groups go through when relicensing these dams, it's immense. I mean, you know, even before a dam is up for relicense five years prior to that, they begin what's called the integrated licensing process where they start doing the studies and they start looking at, all right, what are the, what are the effects of this dam on local water quality on, and on recreation and on the fisheries and migratory fish and, and all of that. And, you know, in this case, you know, we, we had some, there's a lot going on. Like just recently, you know, we filed a, a lawsuit against the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission for issuing a license that was unlawful for the dam. And we're actually going for oral arguments uh, next Tuesday in D.C. Um, Circuit Court. 
Um, so that's that's one really big issue that's been going on for a while. And it's just such a long story. If anyone wants to hear more about it, call me. <laughs> it's the, um, there, there's a lot going on there. You, you can imagine what 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 happens when, you know, a, a dam owner is essentially let off scot-free for 50 years. Um, it doesn't have to be responsible for uh, making sure that their dam operates in a way that doesn't affect uh, downstream communities and uh, or migratory communities coming upstream. Um, like shad and herring and American eels and, and all that. So that's a big one. Um, we touched on it a little bit, but the, the combined sewer overflow and sewage entering the river from our state capital in Harrisburg, that's uh, right up there as well. Um, that's a very, you know, it's a very tough issue because, you know, it, to, to fix it, it's going to cost a lot. The city has been in disrepair for a long time. The, you know, the, the authority who had, control of the, you know, the sewer system before never took care of it. They neglected it. It wasn't maintained uh, for decades, for decades. So we have a lot of pipes within the city that are high risk for failure. Um, there are a lot of pipes that are, um, you know, that are essentially, you know, essentially almost broken. Um, you know, so there's some groundwater infiltration, you know, and there's uh, just a lot there um, that needs to be addressed. And again, these are ongoing violations. Um, so with that, we, we filed a motion to intervene in an old stagnant lawsuit from 2015, where the DEP and EPA sued the city and capital region water for those violations. Um, but since 2015, nothing's really been done about it. So, um, with that, we started water quality monitoring all around the city and, um, and on Paxton Creek as well and on the Susquehanna. And so the, the court and the, the judge ruled in our favor and, and granted us intervention. So now we're, we're part of that lawsuit um, and we get to, to be involved in discussions and, and kind of set the stage for how things should be. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of up to the other parties to agree or disagree. But we have really we, we have really great people on staff um, that are helping it, not my staff, but that are on the team. Environmental Integrity Project. Uh, they just have excellent attorneys. Um, we have really good engineers that are involved. Um, so that's that's another big one. Um, we we sued Hanover Foods uh, last year. Um, yeah, and so that's an ongoing case. Um, you know, there's a lot going on there. You had a you know a company that neglected their wastewater treatment plant for a long time, and you know they uh, they don't have a, a really a good working knowledge of of the systems and how it all works and they have poor management and poor operations and poor procedures and they just uh they need some help with with getting themselves back on track and getting the correct systems in place and getting the personnel that's going to be able to operate their facility in a, in a, in a correct way so they stop violating the law um you know that's a, that's another big one uh, <laughs> So yeah. when you think about when you hear like on the news about these cities that have water crises, I forget who was the last one that just happened not too Jackson. long ago. Jackson. Yeah, and, Mississippi. You know, how close are, you know, is, is that something that's that could happen, you know, or, you know, it, you know, how close is that? Like, what's the I, reality of that? I don't know. I mean, it could happen anywhere. Like, take, you know, take Flint, Michigan. You know, Flint yes. was um, was another big one. And I, and I think, you know, what happened there was that you know, they had to do some infrastructure work and, you know, some other things that, and they, they looked at it and they, they put the bids out and they went with the cheapest, you know, the cheapest bid and, and did it cheap and messed up their entire water system. 
Um, you know, and it was, there was a lot of politics involved and, you know, regulations weren't really, weren't really there. And, you know, they, they kind of just, you know, skipped the beat. They just went cheap and, and really messed up that whole, you know, that whole area. Um, can it happen any, it can happen anywhere. I mean, we look out West and see what's happening out West, like Lake Mead, like it, it's almost gone. And you know we have to we have to remember this too. I mean, we we have laws that are here to protect our water, to protect our right to it, and you know to protect our aquatic species. But you know we we've seen a tremendous attack on you know those rights over the last five years. I mean, here we we're we're seeing there's a there's a case right now, uh, Sackett versus the uh, EPA, I believe, or um, you know it's in the Supreme Court right now, and that case. Um, would essentially, you know, take away protections for wetlands and other water bodies. Um, you know, and these are federally protected waters, you know, waters of the United States. Uh, it covers a vast majority of our waters. Um, so when we have wetlands that are no longer going to be protected and inter intermittent streams and ephemeral streams and waters that cross state lines that all of a sudden lose federal protection, that means that really any polluter can come in and set up shop. Jeez. So, you know, with the with those protections being gone, it's going to be a lot less, you know, it's going to be a lot more likely that, you know, more people can roll in and essentially just get away uh, with with polluting a water body because there's no um, there's nothing behind that water body to to make sure that the Clean Water Act is in full effect and protecting it the way it should. Excuse me. <laughs> so, you know, uh but, you know, there's been massive, massive attacks, um, you know, on the Clean Water Act and different provisions of it. I mean, there's multiple provisions uh, and statutes of the Clean Water Act, and um, we need to make sure that they that they remain intact um, because, you know, our livelihoods are at stake. And, you know, and polluters, too, like, you know, an example that we had with a slaughterhouse, we uh, we sued a slaughterhouse in Lebanon County, um, Keystone Protein Plant. And they were violating the law for years. I mean, it was almost a decade. Um, and they entered into a consent order with the state in you know, 2012, and they were supposed to upgrade their treatment plant in 2016. And 2016 came around, and they never did anything. They just, you know, they didn't do anything. And so they entered into a second consent order with the state, and then, you know, they didn't do anything, and time went by. So, you know, we saw that, and we said, well, you know, they have to be held accountable. So we filed a lawsuit against them. You know, the, the court and the judge ruled in our favor and they violated the law this many times um, and they had to pay, you know, a significant penalty and they had to make sure that their wastewater shirt implant was up to snuff and they had to correct those violations. And they did. Um, but guess what? If we hadn't filed a lawsuit, where would they be right now? Would they still be violating? Maybe. Um, but the other thing that people don't really that people may not get is that if a polluter does not upgrade or does not you know, conform to a permit or does not follow along with a consent order, you know, there's an economic benefit that these companies are receiving. So, you know, with modern landfill, you know, they have this, you know, you have Crates Creek that's being dumped in every 24 seven and constant violations. Well, how much of an economic benefit, you know, did they receive off of not, um, you know, 
making sure that their water is, is, is clean enough to be discharged into a water body. It's, it's huge. I mean, you know, Keystone protein, we, we sued, we settled for a million dollars and that was, you know, essentially the economic benefit that they received and not following the law and, you know, continuous violating, uh, violations. So, you know, that's, that's a big piece to it. You know, if, if they're not upgrading their, their, their things and, you know, they keep getting away with it. You know, there has to be, uh, you know, they have to pay. You know, so you, you'd think it would make sense to them to rather than pay it out later, just pay it and get it done and, and conform to the laws, you know? Yeah. It, it seems like common sense, but I guess, you know, you know, but there unfortunately. Are, but there are states, you know, all over the country, you know, the people, companies, they'll just get away with it. They'll get away with it because there's nobody there to hold them, hold their feet to the yeah. fire. And, you know, that's what water keepers are here to do. We're here to hold those polluters feet to the fire. Like, hey, you can't do this. You need to correct what you're doing and you also need to pay. Like, right. you can't All just right. get away with it and you can't get away, away with it for years and years and years. We, we filed a lawsuit against the state in 2016 because there were 12 uh, coal fired power plants in the state that hadn't had a reissued permit to them. Uh, under that five-year time frame I mentioned, some of those coal-fired power plants hadn't had a permit in 15, a new permit in 15, 20 years. So with that, you know, those permits are, you know, they're operating under effluent limits from 20 years ago. And so when we have, you know, as years go by, you know, people get smarter and we get new technology and we have things to make water quality better and all that. And if there are acting off of an old permit that doesn't have all that new technology and those new limits that are maybe set by the federal or state government, they can still operate on the old permit. And, you know, so we call those zombie permits. When they're <laughs> yeah, would, nobody, nobody knows to look for them. Right. Yes. Right. right. And I was just going to kind of ask a little bit about that too, you know, for, companies that are looking to, you know, build and establish, whether it be like a big company or small company, you know, I mean, have you guys seen um, better like permit processes and like water quality protection processes um, implemented, you know, like in the past years and whatnot? I mean, all right. So let's take it back to like the Bush junior years, like in before that. Like for the last 20 years, funding has been slashed and cut to all of the agencies, like take Pennsylvania DEP, right? So their funding has been slashed almost 70%. I don't even know where the percentage is at, but let's, it's, a, it's a lot. So their ability to perform inspections, their ability to uh, produce a permit, their ability to take legal action against a polluter, it's just not there as it, as it maybe was once there before. So no, I mean the, the 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 lack of enforcement is is extremely high, um, you know. And here we are in 2022, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act, um, you know. And we we need to see our state agencies step up. We need to see the EPA step up and do their job and enforce the law. Um, you know, if let's say in a perfect world. You know, the DEP and EPA had adequate staff and the resources and, you know, they were actually performing inspections the way they should and producing permits the way they should and actually did water quality monitoring. And, the, you know, I, I'd be out of the job. Right. <laughs> Why would you need me? <laughs> right. So, 
you know, but we don't have that. We don't, we don't have that at all. I mean, the, the lack of, you know, enforcement is way down. Um, you know, I remember when we were in COVID, I had, I was trying to get a state agency to help, help me out with, with water sampling. And they decided, well, it was because of COVID that they couldn't take water samples. And meanwhile, the whole time I'm using a lab, you know, um, because of the resources, you know, they just, they, you know, who's going to do it and who's going to follow up. It's so, so it's tough. You know, they're, they're, I think their hands are full. Um, you know, but let's be honest, uh, politics play a big role in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, how, how, much, how much wise want to get into that? I mean, but, but well, you know, we got another four hours. No. <laughs> I mean, we, we have, you know, and, and, you know, so this year we saw, you know, a significant investment into clean water, more so than we've seen in previous years. Um, but honestly, it was all because of the money trickling in from, you know, the infrastructure money and some of the COVID relief funding and the old American Rescue Plan money that's still sitting around in municipalities and, and counties and all that. But, you know, clean water got some decent funding this year. But, you know, those legislators need to put their money where their mouths are and, you know, actually support it not this year, but continuously. Um, we need to see those investments made year after year after year after year, because again, this is the only water we got. And if we don't protect it, um, you know, we're all screwed. So, but so yeah, political will is also, a, a, it plays a huge role in protecting our water. And we need to have the political will, you know, of our legislative bodies and the general assembly um, that knows how important it is and funds it. You know, um, Harrisburg and the combined sewer overflow situation, you know, there's a there's a stormwater fee that's now being paid by all the residents uh, and nonprofits and businesses all around the city. And the state's being billed uh, thirty two thousand plus dollars a month because of the impervious surface that they have in the city. I mean, they own 40 percent of the real estate, um, you know, and they're not paying a penny. Um you know, they have buckets of money and all different, all kinds of different funds. Fork it up. Um, right. You know, so it's just, it plays a big part in it, you know, as far as the funding, the resources for the state, federal agencies, but the political will has to be there. If it's not there, I think we all know that, you know, things go on, things go on behind the scenes that make others make decisions that they might not normally make. Uh-huh. Um, unfortunately. unfortunately. Yeah. So, So not only should you reach out to your local river keeper, but also reach out to your representatives and let them know, you know, hey, this is something we're concerned about. This is something we want you, you know, to focus on or or to be aware of, you know, and, 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 you know, as much as you can get that awareness out there, you know, the more people who know uh, and can kind of see that, the better. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we're a little over an hour. um, So. Um, bottom line here, like what, you know, if you could, um, you know, say one thing to every person, you know, say we, you know, get, I don't know how many views on this. Um, what was, what, what's one thing you would tell everyone to do to help you protect our waterway? No, not just, you know, Susquehanna, uh, but you know, all across our, our nation and, you know, anybody who happens to hear this. I, I would say just just stay informed and, and be open to being educated on, on what's going on. I mean, there's like I said, and, you know, we can talk from hours and hours and hours on some of more of the on more of these issues, but there's there's a lot going on. So, 
you know, if you're if you're in my territory, you know, check out our website, lowsusriverkeeper.org. Uh, if you're on Facebook and Instagram, um, you can check us out there, Lower Susquehanna Riverkeeper Association. Um, just follow the work. Um, you know, check out some of the issues we're working on, some of the programs we're doing, um, and become a member. I mean, you know, we're we're looking for any support that we can get. Uh, you know, we're member supported. You know, we have monthly membership. Um, it's a really cool way to not be able to invest a, you know, a decent chunk at one time. So you can become a member for five bucks a month. Um, you know, five bucks a month is not too much to ask. Um, you know, and for us, it's, it means a lot like that $5 a month member. And if we have a hundred of those people giving five bucks a month, that's, that really does a lot for us. And, um, you know, that's what we're looking to get is more support in the form of donors and members um, and volunteers too. So if you're in this area and you see an event we have coming, we have seen an event we have going on, just come out, check it out, you know, see what we're all about and, you know, come up to me, chat with me. I'm, 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 my life's an open book. You know, we can, we can chat about anything and everything. I've got a lot of life experiences in this area and beyond. So, you know, we, we can, we can, we can shoot the uh, shoot stuff and, you know, and, and, and talk about all kinds of stuff, but yeah, we're looking for members, for donors, for volunteers, check out our work. If you're not in the lower Susquehanna watershed, reach out to your local water keeper, um, check out their website, check out their Facebook page, you know, see what they're doing. Um, you know, attend the events, you know, and, and get involved, take action. The most important thing I would say for people is that we all have a voice. You know, we all can open up our mouths and speak. Um, but when we take on big corporate polluters or, or whoever may be violating the law and subjecting us to, you know, water pollution, we as a community can stand up and stop that. You know, I've seen it. I, I, I've been seeing it the last couple months. I mean, we've had cases here locally where a thousand people showed up to a meeting and, you know, they were supposed to approve something that the township and the people of the township didn't want approved and they didn't approve it because there was so much public outcry and people that were so against it that, you know, the local leaders and the supervisors of the township, they have to listen to their constituents. They have to listen to the, to the local people that are saying, no, we don't want this. Don't do it. You know, because they're going to lose sleep at night if they, if they go against that and they don't want that. Right. So we, you know, our voices matter um, and when we come together as a community and, you know, put all those voices together, trust me, it gets pretty damn loud. Um, and we can cause a pretty big fuss, um, when it comes to protecting our water. So, you know, that's the most important thing. I do this, uh, 24 seven day in, day out. I live, breathe, eat and sleep this work. I mean, um, you know, so. And that's that goes the same with all the other water keepers. You know, we are we are tireless. We are hungry and we are, you know, ready to take action whenever whenever we have the opportunity. Um, we're go getters and we get stuff done. Um, so if you want to be part of that, you want to be part of the movement. Reach out. Awesome. 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 Well, thanks so much for what you do and, and the role that you play in, uh, you know, helping us protect our waters and guys, you know, uh, you know, if you want this resource to be around for you to enjoy and for your kids to enjoy and for generations, you know, it, it we got to start, you know, and we got to make it a priority or, you know, this, this, you know, sport that we love and, you know, that, you know, 
wakes us up and gets us so motivated, you know, it can be gone. And, and we'll, sure. you know, so it's definitely something um, important. And, and Ted, thanks for coming on and, and helping us, you know, kind of raise awareness for that. And um, definitely um, if you want to hang on a little bit before, after we end the show, we'll, I'll get, you know, all the links and everything that you uh, talked about. And we'll make sure we include them in the show notes so folks can uh, find that. And um, guys, just make sure you check out the links and get involved and, and make your voices heard because it's super, super important. So um, any parting words for either of you? <laughs> Big thanks, man. I, I I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and chat with you guys. Um, you know, hope people saw some value in, in the work that we're doing and the work that other people are doing around this around the world. I mean, you got people. You know, we're talking all over the world doing this stuff. It's um, awesome, and we need to sh- we need to shed a little bit more light on all those warriors that are out there. Yes, definitely, definitely. All right, guys. Well, make sure you tune in um, to uh, check out the show notes and support your local uh, river keepers and and, um, all the efforts that they're putting in. And um, as always, thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Best Fishing for Noobs here on the Panel and Fin Podcast, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lips. You guys have a good night. (laughs) Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Fin. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash paddleandfin. Don't forget to check out the website, paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures your midwest premier paddle sports destination go to rocktownadventures.com eastport marina the beautiful destination on dale hollow lake if you're looking for lodging kayaks kayak accessories or anything fishing related on the beautiful dale hollow lake go to eastport.info and jig masters jigs when in doubt get the jig out go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today